From minimum wage to six-figure incomes, high school diplomas to PhDs, this podcast is about the workers who make up our nation's economy. I'm Allie, and this is Employed. Thank you so much, Joey, for coming on to the podcast today and telling everyone a bit about what you do. Can you introduce yourself? Well, thank you for having me, uh, Ali. I appreciate this opportunity, and I'd be glad to share uh, what I do. So I am a licensed electrician uh, in the state of Texas. I also am an electrical contractor. I own and run my own business, and uh, I've... Uh, I've been doing this for many years, and as a licensed contractor, it's, it's only fairly recent, the last eight years. I have had uh, an interest in electricity for a long time, uh, and I can share more about that uh, later, but I was in the Navy for 26 years, which is where I learned my electrical trade. But uh, I did some other things while I was in the last 16 years of my career, and then once I retired from the military, I kind of look back at my career and says, you know, I did all this electrical work. I learned a great skill and I don't have anything to show for it. Sure. So I decided to pursue licensing. And so that's what I do now. Awesome. Thank you. Well, I'm so excited to talk with you today and kind of draw upon you know the many years of experience you've had. And of course, thank you for your service. And it's a lot of years in the military. So yeah, let's let's go into it. What made you interested in electricity and, and becoming an electrician? Yeah, so my earliest recollection is uh, in grade school, uh, we went on a field trip to the local electrical generating company uh, where I grew up. And I just remember being fascinated by the enormity of these generators that make electricity for the community, for the city. And uh, I remember leaving there just with this fascination of, wow, I I think I want to do this. That's my earliest recollection. And I never lost an interest in electrical uh, systems and electronics. And uh, when I graduated from high school, that's what I pursued. Great. Well, yeah, let's talk about the education and experience. What, what kind of training goes into this? What's the licensure like? How long can that take? It can take upwards of um, six to eight years, depending on how you pursue it. But it all starts kind of in the same place. Um, it's through an apprenticeship program. And uh, there's different types of avenues uh, that you can go into to pursue an apprenticeship. You can either go through the formal uh, vocational college route, which takes a little bit longer because the school wants you there for like two years and, and you get an associate's degree out of it. And then there's the formal apprenticeship through the union, the electrical union, uh, and they work with uh, employers to basically host you as an apprentice with the, and you work with that company and you also get classroom training. And then there's also private schools that offer training in electrical trades. Uh, sometimes those can be problematic in that they're very expensive and the cost benefit may not come out well. So I would encourage people either go to community college in a trade or go find an apprenticeship and get involved. And so the way it works is you get signed up for an apprenticeship, you start learning classroom, and then uh, then you go into on the job and classroom, and then you go to all, all on the job. And usually by about um, a year to 18 months, 
you're ready to test for your journeyman license. And um, in order to test for uh, a journeyman license, uh, you have to accumulate 8,000 hours. Uh, so it's actually the, the, the pipeline's a little longer. Uh, so you used to only be able to get 2,000 hours per year. Now they've said, well, because there's overtime and things, they allow you to get more hours so you can compress the 8,000 hours into a three-year period instead of four years. So it, roughly in about three years, you can be a journeyman uh, and uh, you test out. And if you pass the test, you start accumulating hours as a journeyman and then you need another 4,000 for a master. Then you can move on to into other expertises like uh, electrical contractor and things like that. And for this licensing, is this a state license? Like if someone decides to move out of the state that they're licensed for, is that pretty easy to do or do you have to retest? Uh, no, uh, you may have to retest, but uh, the, what the important part is, is the hours. Uh, that's kind of what is the gate to let you to test. Um, and so each state has their own set of rules, but many states have what they call reciprocate, reciprocal agreements. Mm -hmm. And so if you qualify in one state, you automatically qualify in another state. Okay. States that don't have reciprocal agreements, uh, what they'll do is they'll look at your whole volume of work and experience and hours, and they'll see how they match up. And if they match up well, then uh, they'll license you. Uh, I got licensed in the state of Utah recently this past year. Uh, that way. Uh, they just looked at everything and they said, well, we match up. And so I just paid the fee and I was able to get licensed. And so the important part is, is people that are looking to get into this career is they need to keep track of all their hours and what they've done. Okay. I had to do that with my military career because when I came to Texas after retiring from the military, they initially turned me down, uh, even though I had all this experience, but I had all my documents. Okay. So I was able to prove to them, I have the experience that you require of anybody else. Right. And so that's how I was able to get licensed in Texas. What are the demographics of this field? I think for electricians, we generally imagine that it's a male dominated field or that maybe it's an older field. Is that the trend that you're seeing? As far as being an older uh, or a male-dominated um, career, it's only, it used to be that way. It's not so much anymore dominated. It's just that probably enough uh, women are not entering the career field because, you know, they, they do other things. As far as old, that is true. I mean, if you consider me, I go out and I and I see uh, electricians out there that are older than I am, sometimes by a decade. And the problem that America is facing is, is that all those workers will start retiring. And that trend has started. Uh, I've been reading about it now for over uh, almost two decades. And so the, the, uh, the problem is they're retiring and we're not getting enough people coming in. And so it's created a gap. In fact, if you go to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, you'll see that uh, there's projections that the electrical trade is 8% is better than most other careers in terms of between now and 2029. 
uh, of getting um, an opportunity uh, to get into the field. So it really looks good. And the, the salaries are actually pretty good. So, you know, job outlook, electricians, uh, 8%, all occupations, 4%, and construction workers, 3%. So you see electricians are kind of up there, which is really good. I, I would say if you, if you're not college bound and you have a desire to work with your hands, why not try it? And you can make a pretty good living. I think that's one of the things that I definitely want to create exposure on um, in this season of my podcast, especially is to say that there are other avenues other than the university track, right? And there are very livable careers that you can obtain by, you know, going to you know the trade school or vocational route. And so let's let's kind of go right into that. So what range of salary can someone typically expect to make at a position like an electrician? Well, that's the really good news, Allie, because um, when a lot of young people going to college now are accumulating um, college debt. And then when they get when they graduate or don't graduate, that college debt is there. When you go to an apprenticeship, you're not going to owe any money unless you don't finish. Uh, right now, the median pay for an electrician that's having completed apprenticeship school is uh, the median pay in America is 56900 wow. per year. Yeah. That's median. Yeah. Okay. A place like Texas, you can actually make more than that. I mean, I know that um, out of, in the apprenticeship program, you're going to vary between like $16 an hour to $29 an hour when you complete your apprenticeship training. So imagine yourself starting at 16 and by six to eight months later, you're already halfway up that to that $29 an hour range. So it's actually pretty good. The outlook's really good. You, what do you have to look forward to? Well, as you make these, as you make these career milestones of uh, uh, apprentice, journeyman, master, your salary goes up. Uh, I'm self-employed. I pay myself $55 an hour. Sometimes it's a little less. Sometimes it's a little more because I usually work on bids on jobs. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, you know, a general foreman uh, for a company can make upwards of $39, uh, $49 an hour. And so with that, do you feel like as an electrician, you can support a family and save for retirement on your salary alone. And do you, um, are you able to obtain things like health and life insurance for you and your family? Uh, you know, um, 56,900 obviously is not a lot of money, but it's a very livable wage. Um, and um, I believe that it can be done. Obviously you're not going to be living a glitzy life. Uh, but uh, you can expect that, uh, you know, you're going to move up and eventually you can be self-employed and you can really market yourself to a, a salary that is more commensurate with what you desire to have. So I believe it is possible. Yes, I do. Okay. So what are your typical work hours? Do you find it challenging to balance the demands of work with your family life? And how flexible is your work schedule? Well, so, you know, um, if you're working for a large company, uh, it's going to be like working for any other company. They depend on you being there. 
if uh, you know a contractor has uh, has the contract to or a subcontract to work in a in a hospital that's being built or a wing, obviously they need you there every day, and so you're going to be limited. You got to be there at seven o'clock, seven thirty in the morning. I see them all the time. Uh, so in that regard, it is limited. Um, of course, there are labor laws, and you know if you work forty hours, that's your limit, mm-hmm. but. And then if you're offered more hours and you can take the extra hours and actually uh, draw overtime. So that's the side benefit to that. When you're self-employed like myself, you kind of draw your own schedule. Uh, But I do find myself working Saturdays a lot. In fact, this past Saturday, I I left the house at seven o'clock in the morning and I got home at 10 o'clock at night. And I was, I was finishing up a project that uh, I wanted to finish because I've got other projects lined up. And so, but I don't mind doing it because it's, it's me. Yeah. I'm responsible for it. So that's kind of what the, the trade-off is. And obviously you can't go self-employed when you're a journeyman. Mm-hmm. And even if you're a new journey or a new master electrician with maybe one year under your belt, it may be a little more difficult to be self-employed, but nevertheless, those opportunities come later. So that's why I tell people have the long view of things. Can you walk me through an average day at your job? Oh, sure. So um, an average day for me is to wake up at six o'clock in the morning, uh, get myself dressed, and I'm usually out the door by seven, seven thirty. And uh, one of the first places that I go is to my supplier. Uh, I have several suppliers. Uh, I have uh, strictly electrical suppliers and they're open at seven o'clock in the morning. And then I also have the local supply stores like Lowe's and Home Depot, depending on what I'm needing. And I usually usually spend about uh, 30 to an hour, minutes to an hour there, sometimes an hour and a half, just picking up material, depending on the size of the, uh, of the project that I'm going to be working that morning. And then I'll I'll head on out to the job site. I usually get to residences uh, about nine o'clock and to other businesses. uh, I could be there as early as eight, eight thirty. And then I'll work till one, one thirty. Sometimes I'll work straight through lunch, but usually one, one thirty, I'll take a break and uh, I'll get in my truck and I'll go back to the supply store and I'll pick up something as I'm headed out. And, uh, and then I'm back at the job site at about two and I'll work till about five 30 on an average day. Uh, there will be days when I'll be out till six o'clock and then I leave and I have to go back because I have to assess did the lighting work as it was supposed to when it got dark. And I actually did that last night. And so I was out at a building at nine o'clock at night waiting for the lights to come on to make sure that everything came on the way it's supposed to. And so that's kind of a typical day. Uh, obviously, if, if you work for a power company, you know, there's emergencies and power goes out on the grid. You have to be out there. So I did fail to mention that there are other careers in electricity uh, other than residential and commercial electrician. You can be a lineman. There's such a thing as being a lineman. And they're the ones that do the high voltage systems that you see out on the highways. Uh, there's also things called wire uh, a wireman. Uh, or an appliance installer. And those don't require as rigorous of training and hours to get licensing. And you're basically limited to doing that. You go install appliances in a subdivision that's being constructed or a um, apartment complex. And that's all you do is you install the appliances or you wire up all the devices. You know, 
the other part is, is that uh, you, you will find yourself uh, many times uh, working with other people, but uh, as you move up, you're kind of expected that you're going to work alone more. Because if you think about it, the labor costs of having two people is higher than the labor costs of having one person out somewhere. But the reason when you're younger in the apprenticeship and a junior uh, a journeyman is because you're still getting, you know, you're still cutting your teeth. And so, you know, they don't, they don't let you go out by yourself until you get somebody supervising you. Yeah. So you're saying that kind of the later, the later part, once you're kind of in your career, it's sort of a career where you work mostly on your own rather than constantly collaborating with team members all day. Exactly. But, you know, with technology now, you know, you have radios, you have cell phones. And so, I, you know, I've been in places where a technician will come out and he runs into a problem and he'll he'll call and say, hey, you know, I need some help with this. And they'll kind of walk him through. Yeah. OK. And yeah. so and then also kind of with that average day, I know that there's so many different tasks and skills that you guys have to do. Could you maybe give a couple of examples of like very common tasks that you do during that time, maybe you're when you're at a residential site, what are, what are the different things you might be doing? Oh, sure. So um, one of the most common things that, that I do right now is everybody's upgrading their lighting mm -hmm. and, and everybody's wanting to go with recess lighting. And uh, now everybody's going to, you know, putting four, six, eight, 12 recess lights uh, with dimmers and uh, smart technology. And so I get a lot of those um, in in our current day. Uh, the other thing that residents do is they always call when there's an emergency, which I'm glad for that. And that's one of the areas that I've developed my expertise is, is diagnostics. And what that does is it usually leads to a repair request. And so then that's kind of where I say, okay, this is gonna cost this much to repair. And then the ones that I really get from time to time, even though my expertise is not appliances, I do have a lot of experience in appliances. And um, when I was when I first joined the Navy, that's what I did. I repaired appliances for the barracks where all the sailors stayed. And so, you know, there'd be a, a room on every floor that had uh, 30 washing machines and, you know, 25 dryers. And so... I did a lot of repairs, so I, I kind of got comfortable with them, but they've changed a little bit because now they're more smart technology and electronics, but the principles are still the same. And so uh, I get those from time to time, and I really like them because, again, it takes, it stretches me on the diagnostic sense. I do run circuits for people. A lot of people are getting uh, electric cars, and homes are not uh, equipped for a car charger. And so I install circuits for car chargers and of that nature. What does a bad day at work look like or what challenges do you often face? And are there current issues or trends in this field that others should be aware of? A bad day for me is when I have a dissatisfied customer. Um, and um, I've had a couple of those uh, in the last five years. Um the first one was a guy that um, he lived pretty far out. I had to go 90 miles to get out to, to the site and I agreed to do it. And I gave him a really good price 
And it, things were going well, but then because of the distance that I had to travel to get out there, I had something else come up. And um, as I was driving out there, I thought about calling them, but we had bad self-service because it was kind of remote. And so I didn't let them know that I was running late. And so, you know, I attribute that to really, it was my fault, but he was really upset. And, uh, you know, he said to me, you know, um, just, just, just leave. And, uh, you know, I thought to myself, do I just want to leave? <laughs> you know? So I said, well, I said, I'll, I'll gladly leave. I said, but I'd like to complete the work that you contracted me to do. And I said, um, if you let me do that, I'm sure you'll be satisfied. And if I go over on hours that I projected, I won't charge you anything extra. So I think in the end, the guy was happy. He just was unhappy that I didn't communicate. So I actually learned from that. It actually helped me to have better communication. This is something that's hap it's been happening a lot in, in, I think, in the recent years is um, people call to get a bid. Okay. They said they want a quote. And so the, the problem with that is, is that you have to be able to manage how many places you go especially for someone like me to do uh, quotes because you're not making any money on a quote. Okay. And so if I spend half a day driving to th three different places all over town, then, you know, I just burned up half a day and I burned up a lot of fuel and miles and I didn't make any money because, because they were shopping. So I have figured out, the best way to, to know whether a person's shopping or if they really need something. And that's really the key. Do you need my services? Okay. I put the time in to actually develop a material list. Um, I price out everything beforehand and then I send them a, a written quote. And the caveat to that is, is everybody knows that I'm not Superman. I can't see you know, inside a wall. And, and there's things that are that I may not know or were happening in the attic that I couldn't have seen until I actually got up there. And so the, everybody knows through my quote, okay, if, if something comes up that there's no way I could have known, you know, it could vary the price. And usually they're good about that. Uh, but people, when you give them a quote, sometimes they believe that's the price. I'm sure with how, you know, heavily this field relies on working with customers, really. It can get a little hard sometimes working with those different personalities. What are other related fields that others should look into if this career is an area of interest? Uh, yeah, so I have actually met, I've met many um, people that are working on high-end uh, HVAC systems or IT systems where they're, they're actually programming the HVAC system to come on and off under certain parameters, or they're working on uh, high-end uh, communication systems. And they'll say, oh, I used to be an electrician. I was like, really? Well, what made you change? And, you know, for the most part, the industry has evolved. I think at one time, uh, the electrical industry took a a lot of hits because the the working environment didn't match up with the pay. You're out there working in the elements, either really cold 
or really hot. And um, it just, the pay didn't match up. I think that that has sort of balanced off now. So people are more willing to do it, even though we're not bringing in enough. But um, I was joking the other night with some friends and I said, hey, I said, we have a, we have, it was this church building. And I said, we have a sauna in this building. Did you know that? And they looked at me oddly and they laughed. They said, is it the attic? I said, yeah, I've been up there. I said, you talk about working up a sweat. Uh, and yeah, so the environment can be harsh sometimes, but then at other times you work in someone's home and it's, you know, nice and comfortable. Uh, and then when the fall comes around, the weather's really nice. I love working outside in the fall. It's great. So what's the end goal in this career path? Where do you hope to be by the end of your career? You know, when you reach the master electrician um, licensing, it, it's kind of the pinnacle of your career. And so my point is, okay, what do I do next? And so I, I really uh, am working on developing my reputation as the go-to person as a diagnostics expert. And so I've solved uh, some very difficult problems. Uh, and sometimes in the course of on um, responding to a service call, I do, I'm a service provider for a large uh, national facilities management group. And so what they do is they get all these work orders from their customers and then they distribute them to their service providers. Well, they call me quite a bit. About a month ago, I got a service call for a, uh, a building that was having problems with their parking lot lights. And I've been doing a lot of those, actually. And so they call me out there that all their parking lot lights weren't working. And so it's a security issue. They got people there at night and there's no parking lights, parking lot lights. And so uh, I went out there and I was uh, seen on my, on my readings that there was a fault in the lines. Uh, the, the layman's way to say that, there's a short in the circuit, okay? And it was kept tripping the breaker so they couldn't energize. And so that was the problem. Well, this is, a, this is a, an extended, there's eight parking lot lights. It has a control circuit, a timer, a contactor. And so where's the fault? You, you know, you, you don't know at that point. And so uh, I came back and what I also found was that somebody prior to me had done some work on those lights. And at the base of the lights, they had cut these holes to make them bigger to access the wires. And what they had done is they had ruined the, the water integrity of those poles. So we had all these thunderstorms and a lot of rain just prior to that. And so what happened is water was getting into these, the base of these uh, poles and also into the conduit. So I went back to them. I said, you know, you got a couple of problems. I said, there's a fault in the circuit. So I'm going to have to pull wiring. And you also have these poles that they've been cut. So those have to be fixed. So we're, we might have to replace some poles. And so they, then they wanted a bid. And so I'm, I'm like, I'm working the bid, I'm working the bid. And it's, it's complex bid for two, two reasons is number one is you can't just go buy a, a, a pole for a parking lot light at Lowe's. You have to go through your supplier who goes through a sales rep who then goes to the manufacturer 
So you're working through three different levels and the price just keeps going up as you work through those. So I had a little bit of time. And so I just started if assessing and evaluating and thinking about this problem on my spare time. So one Saturday, I just decided to go over there. This was a different Saturday. And I started just at point A and I started working back to try to find the problem. I found two problems in the same circuit. One was a grounded wire, which led to that pole that had um, electrical short and all the wires were burned up. And the other one went three poles downstream and someone had miswired that circuit and they had created a direct short in that circuit. And that's what gave me the really crazy readings that I was getting. It was a Saturday when I was done, I got all the lights lit up in the daytime and I and I took pictures and I sent them to the facility manager that oversees that building. I feel good about that, that I'm developing the expertise that I need where people recognize, let's call this guy. So what's the end, the end state is, yeah, I mean, eventually I, I want to do build my business, want to build it and then sell it. As I get closer to the age where I won't be able to negotiate these, you know, climbing ladders and scaffolds and going into attics where I can actually get into a, a consulting type training environment where I can help people uh, learn how to do good diagnostics. Is there a day that stands out to you in a positive way or what does a good day look like for you? So uh, I used to offer a course to struggling electricians that were trying to get from one level to the next level, apprentices to journeyman or journeyman to master. And I was helping them. The most students that I got were the ones that, that just could not pass the journeyman exam. Now, the journeyman exam and the master exam are made purposely difficult. It's a four-hour exam, and you have to answer 100 questions for the master and 75 questions for the journeyman, 75 for journeyman. You have to score. At the time, it was 75%. But what you're getting tested on is the National Electrical Code. You can't memorize the code book. They, they just weren't passing it. And so I developed a tech, some techniques on how to be able to pass the exam, how to be able to use the manual. And uh, it's an open book exam. And this, this lady was a single mom. She was a single mom and she was raising a little girl. And she was also not native English speaker. She was from one of the former uh, Yugoslavia uh, states, okay? And so she had a barrier of being able to read and understand English well enough and fast enough to answer the questions. Uh, and then she was a woman in the field, so she didn't get a lot of support. And so she called me. She says, I passed the exam. Thank you for your course. She says, I feel like I'm on a cloud nine. And I, and I chuckled because I understand what she meant by cloud nine, but the way that she said it was just the most amazing thing of, wow, you know, she, she did it. And you know that she immediately got a promotion and a salary increase by becoming a journeyman from an apprentice, just immediate overnight. So that's really one of the really good stories that I have about, uh, about a good day. 
And that is, you know, such a perfect segue um, into my last question. So obviously with the field of electricians, like you said, not a lot of women coming into this. So do you have any advice, maybe even specifically for women or for anybody that might be wanting to enter this field? Sure. Uh, I would say avoid becoming discouraged. Okay. Um, when I remember, I told you that when I tried to get my licensing in Texas, I was turned down. I didn't give up. I went back and I made some phone calls and I talked to the right person. Then I convinced them to let me test. And I knew I was going to pass the exam, uh, but I didn't go in it too cocky either. I actually went to a course that this guy was teaching. That's kind of where I got the idea. I went to his course over a weekend and I sat with him for, uh, with, with a group of, uh, of other electricians for, for two days. And we just reviewed, okay, the material that could potentially be on the exam. Uh, blaze your own trail, okay? Yes, you do have to go through the apprenticeship program or through a vocational school. But then blaze your own trail. When I graduated from community college, I was already a trained electrician, but the Navy said, we want to send you to school for two years. And I chose industrial electronics technology. So I went to that course, uh, that curriculum, it was two years, 18 months. And I graduated second in my class. Okay. The person who graduated first was a female. And she got hired uh, when she graduated. She got hired immediately by a shipbuilding company there in the, on the Gulf Coast. Take the long view of things. I said that earlier. You know, 12,000 hours to get a journeyman license, that seems like a lot. And it seems like a long time. But we all have time. Take control of your career. Take control of the training you've done. Keep records. Every state wants to know what you've done, and they're not just going to take your word for it. They, you have to prove it. Okay, So that's important, and you're going to get 12,000 hours if you just stick with it and keep your hours recorded. Check out the Department of Labor Statistics to find out, is it true that we're going to grow, we're doing 8% better than everybody else in the trades? Go out there and find out what you want to do, and then if you find out, no, I don't I don't like working in in, in on the job side, new construction, then expand your horizons and go find the niche that you do like. A big thank you to Joey for donating his time to the show. Follow us on Instagram at Employed Podcast and visit our website, employedpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.